Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Jesus here is closing His sermon, this beautiful kingdom sermon that He has been given us, laying out the covenant ethic, those realities that should mark His people in His kingdom. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. The Lord declares, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears... And does not do them. It's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a sermon Jesus has given us. Realities on what true blessing and woe really are. Realities of how we are to live in light of the kingdom. To love our enemies. To do unto others as we wish they would do unto us. To be instruments of mercy even to those who have wronged us and hurt us and taken from us. To not be judgmental or condemning but to be gracious in our discernment and our guidance towards others. Examining our heart every step of the way. Seeing what log may be in our eye, blinding us from properly and faithfully living in mercy and grace towards others. Examining our fruit to see what true is it that we truly have become. What was so hard about this sermon is the manner in which Christ constantly puts our own heart before our eyes. Relentlessly puts our life before us. And like Nathan to David says, you're the man. And today, he ends his sermon with the way every sermon should be brought to a close. With a call to obey. Today he gets where the rubber meets the road and really presses home where we stand as his disciples or not. Here we find one of the greatest disconnects with many professing Christians. That is the disconnect between their profession and their practice. And it is the most dangerous Thing that can happen to a person is to be a Christian by profession only. To be a Christian in word only, in title only, in talk only, but whose practice does not match their profession. There's nothing more self-deceptive than to be a Christian in talk 
in thought, in word, but not in deed. The Apostle John writes in his first epistle, one of the most staggering and clear commandments and teachings there is on this matter. By this we know that we have come to know Him, that is Jesus. How? If we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, what the Apostle John is saying and what Jesus is also saying in his sermon is the greatest test of faith is obedience. You cannot say that you are in Christ and not obey His teachings. You cannot say He is your Lord and not follow His teachings. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. Your forgiver, but not your master. Your cross, but not your commander. And already you should feel the uncomfort welling in you. The reality of where do I stand in my obedience? Where do I stand in my practice? Jesus gives this provoking question in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? To call anyone Lord, Koryos, is to call them master. They are my master. They are my commander. They are my sovereign. I am bound to do what they ask me to do. And to say, Lord, Lord, was to emphasize emphatically and emotionally someone's professional, their professing surrender. Lord, Lord. It's, it's the most emphatic form of surrender you can say to someone. So Jesus is saying this is an emphatic and emotional surrender that someone is saying with their lips. You you can imagine as Jesus has been teaching that there are those in the crowd who like they do today. Oh, amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But then he hits it where it hurts. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? How can you call me master, yet you do not follow my ways? You call me teacher, but do not apply my teachings. You call me commander, but you do not follow my commands. This, Jesus here is laying forth one of the greatest pictures of foolishness. Jesus states that the confession is meaningless unless it is accompanied by an obedience to His commands. If your confession is empty, 
If your confession is meaningless, it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. There is no legitimate confession. When I read this, I thought of one of my favorite books, The Pilgrim's Progress. Written by John Bunyan in the 17th century. One of the most important books ever. And what's amazing to me is as I was reading through some other teachers and theologians and professors on this text, every one of them went back to Bunyan on this matter. Shows you the influence that that little book, Pilgrim's Progress, has. But in the fifth stage of of Christian, who is the main protagonist, the main character of the book, in the fifth stage, him and Mr. Faithful, who is a, a friend who's accompanying him on the journey to the celestial city, him and Mr. Faithful are there. They're stopped for a little while. And Mr. Faithful sees a man coming off in the distance. So he goes to meet him. And the man's name is Talkative. Mr. Talkative. And Faithful is amazed by Talkative. Because Talkative begins to speak on the mysteries of God. He starts unfolding the glorious mysteries of the city ahead of him. He talks about theology and prayer. He knows the concept of the new birth and regeneration. He understands God's sovereignty and power. He, he unfolds and delights in the prophecies of God. And faithful is like, this guy's amazing. This guy knows so much. And his talk is so good. But little did he know that Christian actually knew talkative. For him and Christian were actually from the same city. From the slew of despond. And as soon as faithfulness brings Christian, brings talkative to Christian, Christian pulls faithfulness inside. And he says, this man is not who his mouth makes out to be. I want to read you what Christian says about talkative to Mr. Faithful. He says, quote, Religion has no place in his heart or house, only his conversation. He has lies on his tongue and his religion is merely to make noise. He talks of prayer, of repentance, of faith and of the new birth, but he knows only to talk of them. I have been in his family and I have observed him both at home and abroad. And I know what I say of him is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. There is neither prayer nor sign of repentance for sin in his life. Yet even the brute serves God far better than this talkative. He is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion to everyone who knows him. It can hardly have a good word in all that end of the town where he dwells about him. Many say of the common people that know him that he is a saint abroad and a devil at home. His poor family finds it so. He is brutish with them, a railer, and he's unreasonable with his family and his servants. They know, they know whether or not to, uh, how to help him or to do for him or to speak of him because of his cruelty towards them. Besides, he brings up his sons to follow his steps. For my part, I am of the opinion that he has by his wicked life caused many to stumble and fall and will be, unless God prevents it, the ruin of many more.
End quote. Faithfulness hears that. It's like, whoa! Clearly, you don't like this guy. And so, Christian says, well, go put him to the test. So, Faithful goes over to Talkative. And he starts asking Talkative, what is the sign that God has truly worked in the life of someone? And Talkative says, oh, well, they love talking about the Bible. They love talking about God. They love talking about His mysteries. They they love to learn more about His prophecies. And faithfulness says, but what about repentance? What about faithfulness in their life? And talkative says, only charlatans and Pharisees think of such things. And faithfulness calls him out. And rather than repenting, the talkative says, oh, you're just condemnatory. And he walks away, leaves them. He leaves them on their path to the celestial city. Because he can talk about the celestial city, but he himself will actually never go there. Oh, how many so-called Christians are themselves like talkative. They love the mysteries of the Bible. Are are well-versed in its prophecies. They love prophecy discussion. That's all they want to talk about. Oh, what about this prophecy? Or that prophecy? What about these mysteries? Where does this tie into that? They've grown amazed by biblical symbolism. Deeply impressed by its literary cohesion. Enamored by its unfolding of the ancient world. Fascinated by its captivating narrative. Emotionally moved by the Jesus it unfolds. They will discuss it with anybody and everyone. And yet there is not one ounce of their life that reflects greater obedience to the teachings of this great book. I am not saying there is anything wrong with those other things. But I don't care to hear a word of them if they have not moved you to greater living for the Lord. I care nothing of your knowledge of Bible prophecy if it does not cause you to live greater surrender to Christ. I care nothing about your knowledge of biblical symbolism and mystery if it does not drive you to greater sacrifice for the Lord and greater living for His glory. And I speak these words to myself who is deeply enamored by the Scriptures who deeply loves everything, every fiber and drop of every word on every page. But do I do them? That is what matters. Because that knowledge will only serve to greater condemnation those who do not do them. These talkatives are hearers of the word, students of the word, even teachers of the word. But they lack what is most important because they are not doers of the word. As James makes it most clear, James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks like looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a dear who act, doer who acts, he will be blessed, what? In his doing. Receive the implanted word. But don't just be a hearer of it, James says. Don't just have it poured into your heart, but never pour out into your life. Because if you do, you're like the man who goes to the mirror, then walks away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Because what is the scripture? It is a mirror that puts, us, puts before us the image of who? Jesus. And to go away and not do it is pretend like we've never seen what he looks like. Pretend like we've never heard what he said to do. To pretend like we've never looked in the mirror at all. And blessing that flows out of the word, which is able to save our souls, flows not merely in the hearing, the speaking, the teaching, the talking, but in the doing of what Christ has commanded us to. What Christ has called us to. Obedience is the sign that the word truly has been implanted. That the law is really being written on our heart by the Spirit. Why? Because it's being poured out into our lives. The blotches of ink written on our heart are pouring out into the lives of others. But I want you to know, my friend, this hearing and speaking and teaching, being talkative, but not doing God's Word is a problem that has marked His people from the beginning. It is a thing that God said of the Son of Man would take place. Ezekiel prophesied this. If you want to hear a prophecy, here's one for you this morning. As for you, Son of Man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come. And they sit before you as my people. And they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talks in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. That's church today. That's your common American church service right there. Let's come and entertain you. Come and be wooed by my great oratory. Go find a preacher that fits your style. Go find the music that woos your heart and and lulls you to sleep in an emotionalism where you can leave by nothing more than the dull, tranquilizing effect of a spiritual experience that does nothing for you Monday through Saturday. And come back week after week and let me give you your daily dose of tranquilizers.
there's a prophecy for you if you like prophecy. Because it is being unfolded week after week, day after day. We come by the house, we sing, we love talking about it, but nothing in our life manifestly shows any change. I wonder why the world is the way it is. It's not because there's not enough of the word. It's because there's not enough doers of it. Our actions truly reflect whether or not we believe that Jesus is actually Lord. John 13, this beautiful passage, upper room, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Listen to what he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. Bingo. Like Jesus says, I am the Lord. You're right. You're not wrong in that profession. So it wasn't that the confession was wrong. For so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Right? The way that I wash you, the way that I immensely cover you with mercy and grace in this night, this is how you are to be to your fellow brothers and sisters. This is how you are to love one another. And I don't care if you call me Lord. I don't care if you do that. If you don't actually do what I say. If you actually don't love each other the way that I told you to. If you don't follow my example. It means that I'm not your Lord. I'm just your hall pass. I'm just your get out of hell free card. You care nothing to follow me if you don't do these things. Matthew Henry, and I know many others have quoted him after, but the first that I could find this quote, Matthew Henry, he says, To call Jesus Lord and to not obey Him is to put ourselves in the same situation as those who mocked Him as King of the Jews while crucifying at the same time. You pray, you, you, you call Him Lord with your lips, but you crucify Him with your life. What Matthew Henry's saying in that moment is, it's a mockery. What Jesus is saying, it's a mockery to call me Lord and not live like it. You're mocking God. The truly unshakable Christian life is not a person who is talkative like this. The truly unshakable Christian life is found in the person whose heart has been so changed and so surrendered to the Lordship of Christ that it longs to obey what it says. It's not like it's not like forcing. It longs to follow him. It longs to be like him. It longs to know him more intimately through doing. And there is no greater danger than to let ourselves be deceived by the empty words of a vain profession. I can't tell you how difficult it is as a pastor to talk to someone whose life is literally a living hell. They are committing adultery and fornication. They're being wicked in their actions. And yet they day by day live under the deception that they said a prayer 20 years ago.
It was a vain profession if your life has not been changed towards Christ. If your life is not marked by true repentance, turning from sin and towards God with a greater earnestness to go after Him, that was a vain profession. Any life that makes a confession without obedience will prove to be a life that lacks substance. And it will not have the strength necessary to withstand the temptations, trials, and tribulations of this world. And to demonstrate those realities, Jesus, our master teacher, gives us this profound parable to close his sermon. A picture of two houses that are built one which will stand the storm, and one which will be destroyed by it. The first one he shows us is the house built upon the rock, the house that will withstand the storm, a house marked by a man who is one who is both of profession and practice. Verse 47 and 48. Everyone who does comes, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Notice how Jesus describes the picture of what true discipleship looks like. These are everyone who comes to me. That's step one. You have to come to Christ. You've been drawn to Christ. You come to Him. You hear His Word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of the Lord and does them. So often, our picture of discipleship stops at the hearing. Well, I come and I hear. But, but Jesus says, and does them. That's discipleship. It's not just coming and listening. Oh, that was good. It's doing if it was good, go do it. True discipleship is marked by a coming, a hearing, and a going and doing. That's the mark of the disciple. Jesus gives us that profession, right? Instead of those who like are walking, standing, and sitting. Proverbs 1. The opposite. It's coming, hearing, and doing is the disciple of Christ. And unless we get to the point of actually doing what Jesus says... We cannot be seen as truly his followers in the biblical sense. And I'm telling you, no one hits this home harder than his half-brother James. James writes this in James chapter 2, a passage which a lot of people don't like. And I understand why. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Keeps going. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out of another way? 
For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Mm. My Protestant senses are tingling. But I love James. Because I don't believe James is fighting Paul. I think James is defending Paul. Because Paul himself had to deal with this. Romans 6.1, I don't have the passage, but Romans 6.1, Shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be! Because Paul's dealing with the same argument. Oh, we're justified by faith. Then we can just do what we want. We can be what's called antinomians, against the law. We can just live however we want. Right? Jesus is going to forgive us. We just got to say He's Lord and that's it, right? That's our get out of hell free card. We just say Jesus is Lord like some kind of magical incantation and that's it, right? No. The big question, right? Because James is talking about an empty faith. Can that faith save you? What's he talking about? An empty believism, an empty professionism. You say the Lord is one. You do well. Even the devils believe, the demons believe, and they shudder. In other words, they do more work than you do in their belief. They at least shudder. Your faith is so empty, you do nothing. And I'll show you that the true faith, faith that is completed, faith that is perfected, is a faith that is seen through its fruit, through its work, through its life, through its action. Abraham's faith was justified. It was made manifest. How? Because he was willing to put Isaac on the altar. The writer of Hebrews says, knowing that even if he did kill him, God would bring him back to life. Rahab, because she believed in the God of Israel, of Yahweh, said, I'll hide the spies. I'll protect them. Her works demonstrated her faith. They made clear that her faith was real. It was substantive. Her faith was completed because she was willing to act upon it. In other words, my friends, if you don't have a faith that works, you don't have a faith that saves. If you don't have a faith that works, you don't have a faith that saves. When we walk in obedience to the Lord, we experience truths about Him that without walking in faith, we would never know. You realize that God is your refuge. You realize God is your fortress. You realize that God is with you and will not leave you or forsake you. You realize that He is your rest and your comfort. You realize that He is there for you no matter what. You realize that He will not leave you and forsake you. You realize that no enemy against you, or no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That greater is He that is in you than He in the world. How do you know it? It's because you go and you walk in faith and He meets you at every crossroad, at every trial, at every storm, that without walking in faith, you'd never know it otherwise. God meets us on the path of obedience in incredible ways that without that path we would not know otherwise. I think of Naaman the leper. 2 Kings chapter 5 because we are so much like Naaman. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha. He's heard Elisha can heal him. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. I love it. But Naaman was angry. 
And he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me, stand, call upon the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I just thought he'd fix me where I was. I came here because he said he could do it right then and there. I thought this was like a drive-by service. Like, I, 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 I came here, so just do it. Fix my life. Make me better. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters? I don't even like the water he's sending me to. Not only am I mad that he doesn't fix me instantaneously, I'm mad at where he's sending me. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in rage. Next slide. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you, will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. And then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. Naaman would have never known the power of God if he didn't act in faith on behalf of what he was told. If he didn't act upon the word which was given to him. And I love it. Naaman's angry because the word isn't given to him the way he wants it. Yeah. You're supposed to wave your hand and do a magic trick. Like that's how those sorcerers do it in Micah. They're like, why can't you do that? Because what Elisha's showing him is the only way that you get healed is through faith. But it's not just an empty faith. It's a faith that manifests itself in going and doing whatever my God calls me to do. Because that's where you'll see the miracle. You'll see it on the road to obedience. You'll see it on the path of obedience. Because I love it. He's angry. He's not even going to go do it. And his servants are like, like, Father, Lord, Master. This is a good word. Why would you not go do it? That's my, that is my total prayer and question for you today. This is a good word. Why won't you go do it? This is a really good, life-giving word. Why won't you go do it? That's my preaching to myself this morning. And he goes, and he obeys, and he's cleaned. He's cleaned, and, he, and through that experience, through that act of obedience, he comes to learn what? There's no God like the God of Israel. You will meet God in miraculous ways on the path of obedience. You can't just stay in Egypt. And get in the promised land. You gotta walk. You gotta go. And when you walk, you'll see the river split. You'll see the manna. You'll see the rock and the water. You'll see provision like never before. You'll see the ram caught in the thicket when you're willing to go and walk in faith because that's where the miracle's found on the path to obedience. Because without it, you'll never experience God the same way. It was walking through the trial. It was going through the storm. It was seeing and dealing with the test that I came to know God in a way that without it, I never would have known otherwise. And this is what he means by the house that withstands the storm. He refers to the man who does, the person who does God's word as those who dig deep, who build upon the rock, and build a foundation that expands from it. 
The rock is Christ and His Word. And that is what we must build our lives upon. It is the only firm and lasting foundation. I love what Jesus does here in this parable because He actually takes a rabbinical parable that was very well known by this time. But the parable that was very common amongst the rabbis was a teaching of the man who builds his life upon Torah. And Jesus here says, my word. Jesus is saying like Torah doesn't matter. He's saying Torah is my word. This is all my word. He's making his word equivalent with the word of God. So it's like Jesus then taught he was God. Everything he says, like there's a reason they sought to kill him for blasphemy. He's equating his word with the words of life, with the law of God. Why? Because in this teaching, he's been given us new covenant law. He's been given us the new covenant ethic, how we are to live as his kingdom people. I love this picture. He dug deep and found the rock. The the picture here, right, is the reality that we've got to push aside. This is the person who realizes, like, I need to get rid of stuff in order to, I need to get stuff out of the way that gets me to the rock of Christ. I need to get vain religion, false professions. I need to get a moral self-help, a self uh, uh, therapeutic deism this sense of just I want God to fix me up and do better I'll build the house but I don't want to do anything to get it I love it you've got to repent you've got to remove those things and get to the rock and the rock is Christ and his word and you build upon it because it's not enough to look at the rock he didn't say the man who dug to the rock and stared at it The man who dug to the rock and talked about all of the beautiful intricacies of the rock. The man who compared the rock to other people who said they had a rock. And defended this rock against everyone else's. He's not looking for mere geologists who can study the rock, look at the rock, show how the rock is different. We must anchor ourselves in the rock. Christ must be our anchorage. That's what anchorage means. To be anchored deep into something. Christ is our anchorage. Christ is what we deep and furrow ourselves into, ground ourselves in, drill into, anchor ourselves firmly and fixed to the rock. We can't just look at it and talk at it. We must dig into it, build upon it. Like the house built on a rock, This will entail pains and labor and self-denial. We will have to pull aside the sands of pride and self-righteousness. We will have to crucify this rebellious flesh that wants to do it our way. To build according to our will, our wants, our standards. We will have to count all things as uh, as lost for Christ's sake. And all this may be hard work. Taking up our cross. Following Him. But like the house built upon the rock, only a life built on the foundation of obedience to Christ will withstand the storms when they come. And I love it because Jesus presupposes the storm. When the storm comes, not if it, when the storm will come, trials, tribulations, they will come your way. But not only trials, he's also talking about the final judgment. 
when that final storm comes, there is only one house, there is only one life that will remain unshakable in the storm. Whether it be the trials and tribulations and temptations of this world or the ferocity of the judgment to come, there is only one life, one home that remains unshakable. And it is a house that is built upon obedience to Christ, firmly rooted and built upon the rock of Him and His Word. Obedience is the key to a sturdy, unshakable foundation. So when the storms of life come, and they will come, my dear friend, those storms will come and maybe you are in them right now. The house that is built on the solid foundation of Christ and obedience to His teaching will remain steadfast in the storm. No matter the challenges you face, trials, tribulations, or temptations, your obedience to Christ's teaching will sustain you. Your faith will not be in vain if it is deeply rooted in Christ and His Word. You will never worry about a vain profession if you are building your life upon obedience to Christ and His Word. And you may say, well, what about faith and all this? Did not John tell you? If you love Him, you'll do it. So if you're not doing it, you don't love him. So you can't lean back on the well, well, I confessed and I said all those things, but you never loved him. You're like the person who said, Lord, Lord, on the day of judgment. And he says, I never knew you. Your doing wasn't flowing out of a love for him. If you are rooted in Christ and obedience to his word, grounded and built upon a foundation of faithfulness to wherever He calls me. Lord, I am all Yours. And whatever You call me to, I am there. I will do it. And where I lack faith, help my unbelief, Lord. Grow me. Strengthen me. Fortify me in Your Word that I may be obedient to You so that when the life comes, when the diagnosis comes, when the tragedy comes, You remain unshakable in this world. I found this on the web. She needs to hear it too. And this is compared to the house of disobedience. The house that falls apart when the storm comes. Verse 49. A house marks the man who has profession, but no practice. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that, ha- that house was great. Notice, the house, pretty much the same. There's no differences in the house. To the world, they look the same. They look the same. Same amount of rooms. Everything about them looks the same. The only difference is what are they founded upon. One has built the house but he finds it, finds it upon his own self, his own self-righteousness, right? His own pride and arrogance. I, I like what Jesus says here. I, you know, these are great. These are great principles and stuff like that. But I, I'm not actually attached to him. I'm not actually going to obey it. They are a Christian in, in every way but practice. They're not rooted upon a foundation. And you know what happens to actually show which house is on the foundation is not the storm. The storm proves what is the true solid house. And you wonder why God in His sovereignty allows storms. 
It's to make clear who His people are. You wonder why He allows tribulations in this world. It's to make clear who His people are. It's to purge and fortify His people. Because there is nothing more destructive than a house that says, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, His teachings are awesome, this Bible is great, and then the storm comes and it collapses under the weight of the pressure. People go, oh, that's not that strong. I have seen entire churches, I have seen entire people lose their faith because a minister or someone else came out in a scandal or something like that. My friends, if you lose your faith because of someone else, your faith was never on the rock. It was never grounded on the rock. Such a man's religion may look well for a season. An ignorant eye may detect no difference between the possessor of such a religion and a true Christian. Both of them may worship in the same church. Both may use the same ordinances. Both may profess the same Jesus. The outward appearance of the house built upon the rock and the house without any solid foundation may be much the same until the storm comes. And the day of trial and temptation and affliction becomes the test which the religion of the mere outward professor cannot stand, but will collapse on the day it comes. When storms and tempests beat on the house, which has no foundation, the walls which looked so well in sunshine and fair weather, now surely will come to the ground. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 10 through 14. This great prophecy against the false professors of Israel at the time. These wicked teachers leading the people astray. This is God's judgment to them. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain. And you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. And there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it. And you shall know that I am the Lord. You want to build people on a foundation that's not me? I'll destroy it, the Lord says. I will show it to be what it is, an empty vessel. Not grounded or founded upon me, For you lack obedience, you lie to the people, you are empty and vain professors. And I will bring the storms. Because I will show who my people are and who they are not. Sometimes we are quick to pray away the storm when it is precisely the storm that we need. The Christianity which consists of merely hearing religion taught without any doing 
is a building which must finally fall. And great indeed will be the ruin. Because my friend, there is no loss like a soul. There is no loss like the loss of a soul. And this is why vain profession and empty profession is so dangerous. Because it creates a self-deceiving whitewashed coat that makes people think it's all okay when their life is not at all changed by Jesus. While they are not at all grounded and rooted firmly in Christ. The Lord will bring the storm to show it. And my prayer for many is that that storm becomes before the final judgment. That it might expose that empty foundation. That they might truly find the rock and build upon it. But for many, they will endure their whitewashed homes until that day shall come. And oh, what a terrible day it shall be. When the house they built for themselves will prove to be unsturdy. Not founded upon the rock. And it will be destroyed because they talked themselves into deception. When life's trials come crashing in, the lack of a solid foundation leaves them vulnerable to destruction because disobedience leads to ruin and great loss. And not only that, but it creates a pattern of hypocrisy that prevents others, that serves as obstacles to others to come to the rock themselves. It takes more sand and dumps it on top of the rock rather than clearing a path and saying, this is where you must build. My friends, the call is to not only know Christ, but to know Him and obey Him, to love Him and follow Him, to want to go after Him and yearn for Him. Why? Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? If His Word is good and it is eternal, how much more should we build our present life on it? If they are the words of eternal life, how much more should our present life be built upon this Word? Because I don't know about you, but I have seen the storms. And my prayer constantly is, Lord, don't ever let me be shaken off the foundation. So I want to close by asking the question and hopefully answering it. How do we establish an unshakable life in Christ? How do we establish an unshakable life in Christ? Based upon His Word and the teachings of Scripture, I believe these are the five steps that we can do to formally fortify ourselves in the castle of Christ, never to be shaken, never to be moved. First, we must examine our present foundation. Just like we talked about last week, examining your fruit, you need to examine your foundation. What foundation are you building your life upon? Is it a mere profession? Or it is an absolute transformed life where Jesus has gotten all of you and you want nothing more but for Him to get even more of you. Are we upon the rock or are we upon the sand? We love perhaps to hear the gospel, 
We approve of all of its leading doctrines. We will come and sit to a lengthy, long-winded preacher preach over an hour every Sunday. We ascend to all of its statements of truth about Christ and the Holy Ghost, about justification and sanctification, about repentance and faith. We, we love hearing about conversion and holiness, about the Bible and prayer. But what are we doing? What are you doing Monday through Saturday? Is this really changing your life? Is it making you want to live more for Christ, more for the world, to go after the lost, to live with greater holiness, greater urgency for His glory and goodness, to, be, to say, Lord, I want you so manifest in my life. No matter what it takes to get there, no matter what storms may come, if it is there to fortify and strengthen my foundation, I want it for you, Lord. What are we building upon? An empty profession or a profession and a practice. Marked for the glory of God to not just hear what He says, but to do what He says. Secondly, we must anchor ourselves deep into the rock of Christ. I want you to know, dear friend, you can never burrow yourself too deep into the cleft of the rock of Christ. You can never go too deep into Christ. You can never anchor yourself too deep in Christ. Every day should be a, a, a can I dig deeper? Can I, can I firm myself even further deep? Root myself even deeper into this rock? Don't be satisfied with just the original bolts that you screwed into place. Anchor deeper and further. Press deeper into the rock of Christ. So that more of the glory of God can pass by you unscathed. So that you can live with greater acts of His glory and greater works. So that when deeper and more powerful storms come your way, the more unshaken you are. Root yourself deep in the rock of Christ. Day after day, fortify, go deeper. In the military, when you're not fighting, you're digging. That's what we call the infantry. Right? You're fortifying your fighting positions. You're digging deeper your foxhole. You're filling up more sandbags. Right? So that when the battle comes, when the storm comes, I am ready because I'm more root deep, I'm more deeply rooted. I'm more firmly grounded. You can never go too deep in the rock of Christ. So keep digging, beloved. Keep furrowing, beloved. Find your safety in the rock of Christ, the rock of ages. Thirdly, Build a firm foundation of faithful obedience to the Word. Don't just study the rock. Don't just look at it. Build upon it in faithfulness. Build upon it in obedience. The house that we build can only be built on a foundation of obedience to His Word. To His will. Otherwise, we're building it according to our own parameters. And it's going to fall. If you're not rooted in this instruction manual and this word, you're going to build the house the wrong way. And it will prove to be fragile. It will prove to fall apart. Our testimony is our lives. The greatest sermon Blake Hart will ever preach will be the life that he lives. And there are countless pastors' children. And me and Pastor Freddie have been talking a lot about them. Friedrich Nietzsche, Carl Jung, Aleister Crowley. Right? These individuals who were major opponents of Christianity, were all pastor's kids. They're all pastor's kids. Why? Because they saw men full of profession and no practice. And thus the rock was never shown to them. They saw sandy ground. 
They saw whitewashed houses, but they saw no firm foundation. And when the storm came, they washed away with it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. What seal is His firm foundation? The Lord knows who are His, and let everyone who names the Lord the Lord do what? Depart from iniquity. That's the firm foundation. A foundation of repentance. Of leaving the iniquity. Of faith, further faithfulness. Further obedience towards Him. He knows who are His. And we know that we are His. Why? Because we're doing what He said. We're actually doing, being, becoming, growing, changing, moving. Remember when James talked about in James 2 earlier about how faith without works is like the body without the spirit? Why? Because a body without the spirit is what? It's dead. There's nothing to animate it. Nothing to move it. And that's what faith is without works. Like, faith is just dead. If, it's not, if it doesn't have the spirit of God in it, it's dead. But if faith is filled with the spirit, guess what? It's going to work. It's going to do. It's going to be. It's going to be animated. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, verse 11 through 15. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's foundation. He's rock. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. This is the day of judgment. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has been has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here, Paul's talking about believers. He's talking about Christians. How do I know he's talking about Christians? Because he's saying everybody who's building is building on the same foundation. It's just the materials that they're choosing to build with. So the reason that even those at the end get saved but by fire is because they were still on the foundation. But the things they chose to build with were not fire tested, fire proven. This is the Christian who has rooted himself in Christ, who is truly there, a true believer, a true elect, but decides to build his own way. I'm going to do it my own way. And I'm going to tell you, when it talks about that many of them have been suffered loss and have been saved, but only is through fire. That's not just talking about the judgment day when they're going to be rebuked at that judgment in the sense of that they're going to be shown, reproved, instructed, corrected, purified into glorification. But also the Lord providentially has snatched people out of this world to ensure that they made it into glory because of the path they were on. They were saved basically by the skin of their teeth because God will not lose one of his elect. But their life was built upon wood and stubble and hay fire. It, was, it had nothing to do with gold and silver and precious stones which would stand upon the fire. And the only way to build with that kind of material is to build according to the instructions God gives. So build an impregnable fortress rooted in Christ upon a foundation of obedience with good works that reflect His glory according to His will. Four. If you want to be an unshakable life, you need to know that He is sovereign over every storm. There isn't a storm that comes that God's like, I didn't see that. Sorry, I wish I could help. 
I wish I'd have known that was coming. He knew it was coming because he put it there. He is sovereign over the storm. And that storm comes to reveal your foundation. To reveal the rock that you are attached to. That you get all the greater assurance of your anchor of safety when you've made it through the storm and you still stand. And you stand not because of who you are, but because of the rock you're anchored to. He is sovereign over the storm. Mark chapter 4, verse 38 and 40. The Sea of Galilee, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke Him and said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Well, that's a lot of our prayer right now. And He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. Why? There was a great calm. And He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? I love this passage. The storm's waging. The disciples think they're all dying. Oh, we're going to drown. It's going to be horrible. Where's Jesus? He's sleeping. Because He can have peace in the storm because He's sovereign over the storm. So can you, my dear friend. You can have peace in the storm because He is sovereign over it. And He still speaks to the wind and waves. Peace be still. Let Him speak those words to your heart. And then you obey just as the winds do. If the winds and the waves will obey, why will you not? For even the winds and waves know that He is Lord. Do you? If you obey, you prove that you have truly understood so. And then lastly, never stop fortifying the foundation of faithfulness. The beauty of the storms as they pass by is they reveal areas of weakness. They reveal areas where I'm not firmly rooted. They reveal in me where there's still pride. They reveal in me where there's still anger. They reveal in me where there's still a lack of trust. And when that storm goes by and I see those cracks, because I'm never moved, I'm never swept away, but I am shown fractures. I am shown those areas of weakness. I'm shown where the shutters weren't screwed tight. I'm shown where things were not put in place. Because the storm revealed it. That is a grace of God to say, further fortify that. Further surrender that to me. Further anchor it to me. The storms help us reveal chinks in our armor. As the man who brought his son to be healed because he was tormented by epileptic seizures and things like that because of the demon that had possessed him. The son brought him. But in the midst of this man who brought his son, Jesus used the storm of this man's life to show him something about himself. And the man, he said, do you believe? It's all possible if you believe. And in that moment, there was a fracture in this man that was revealed. But it was so good because it needed to be fortified. And he says this to the man. He says this to Jesus. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I'm anchored. I'm rooted. I know you're the rock. But I'm struggling here. And I've seen him be tormented for so long. 
And I'm not sure if you can do it. I'm not even, I, I, I actually maybe know you can do it, but I'm not sure if you're actually willing. I, I don't, I, I sometimes struggle to know your own compassion, Lord. I struggle to know your goodness. And that, that part of me needs to be shaken up so that I'm further grounded in knowing that not only are you capable, not only are you sovereign, but you are good and you are compassionate and you will provide. And so we fortify the foundation of faithfulness when the chinks are shown. Because this is the call of the Christian life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this beautiful resurrection chapter, and he closes with what it all means. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the victory in Jesus Christ. Therefore what? Because we have victory over sin. Because we have victory over death. Therefore, what now? My beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable. How do we do that? How do we be steadfast and immovable? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How do you fortify the foundation? You do the Word. You go do it. When it's hard to love, you go love. When it's hard to forgive, you forgive. When it's hard to show compassion, you go. You, you do it. You give. You live. You walk. You do. You love. You forgive. You grow. You pray. You do. Because in that moment of doing, you see the miracle of God working in you to will and work His good pleasure. To bring about that great miracle of faith, establishing the foundation so that every storm that comes, no matter if it grows in intensity or not, you are more firmly grounded and you will not be shaken from your foundation. And so we pray, Lord, build our life upon you so that no matter what comes, we will be unshakable. We will not be moved off of you. Though storms should come, though trials should come, though temptations come, let there be no wave which can unsettle us in the least of your firm foundation. My friends, Hillside Baptist Church has stood here for 50 years. But the only way for it to stand into eternity is if it is built upon the rock of Christ. By people who are building upon a firm foundation of obedience. The one thing that I love about Hillside is each and every one of you are here because you love the Word. But I say to you, if you love it and you love the author of the Word, then go do it. Because there will be no greater condemnation that could come against us than to be lovers and hearers of it, but not doers of it. Build your life upon the rock of Christ. As you are obedient to Him, you will come to know the preciousness of His every promise. But I want you to know, my friend, no one can cling to the sweet hope of Christ's promises if they will not simply obey Christ's precepts. 
You are not the recipient of His promises if you do not love Him enough to obey His precepts. So build your life upon the rock. Be obedient to His Word. And your life will be unshakable when the storm comes. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us, Jesus. Lord, build our life upon You. Root us firmly Deeply, you have stirred in us a love for you. You have stirred in us a love for your word. So, Lord, let us now be lovers of doing it. Let us be those who live for you, who love for you, who long for you, whose lives are marked by a persistent obedience to faithfully follow you because you have the words of life. You will lead us into all wisdom. You will lead us into all truth. You will lead us so that we may be complete for every good work for your glory. Lord, that is what your word has given us. It is sufficient for all things. So let us build our life upon it. Build our life upon you, Lord. Firmly anchor us in you. Anchor us deeply in the rock, Lord. Hide us immensely in your cleft that greater displays of your glory may pass in front of us. Oh, Lord, we want to be doers of the word. We want to be marked by Christian and faithful, not talkative. God, let our lives permeate with your glory, with obedience to you. Let our love for you be marked by radical obedience. That we might come to know the power of your care and your love for us. As we walk faithfully after you. Knowing that there is no place that we go. There is no action that we do for you. Where we will be without you. Or that that action will be vain. No, Lord. Let us build upon the foundations with gold and silver. An immaculate fortress which gives glory to you and you alone. That stands though battle tested and weathered. But stands strong. It stands strong and unshakable. Lord, we know the storms will come. And we know that you are sovereign over them. And that through them... You will bring about your glory and the greater good of your people. So Lord, like Spurgeon, we kiss every rock. We kiss every wave that crashes us upon the rock of Christ. Firmly root us in you, Lord. Build our life upon your love that we may be a firm foundation unshakable no matter what storm comes our way. In his name we pray. Amen.